Amen. Thank you, John and Shelley and choir. And houses are much cheaper in Anderson than Nashville. If you'll <laughs> like to move down here and uh, become a great part of Concord, we'd love to have you with us. It's so good to see you today. And um, we'll be talking a little bit in the message today about singing to one another as we continue our series. And uh, sometimes the singing of the church carries us along, doesn't it? And uh, I don't usually get agitated, not, not agitated in some outward way, but just agitated in my spirit. Uh, yesterday evening had nothing to do with Alabama struggling. It was just, um, <laughs> I think it was a spiritual attack or something. I don't know. But um, just didn't have a good night in my spirit, in my soul. Something, was, don't know what it was, bothering me. But man, being here and singing with the people of God and worshiping Him, it just lifts your heart, doesn't it? And uh, gives you renewed strength. And I'm so thankful for the singing of the church. Father, bless now your word as we have been singing your word and praying to you, Lord, through the Spirit and keeping with the word. And God, we ask you now to speak to our hearts and our minds and our spirits about, Lord, heeding your word and, Lord, following your word as we seek to grow in you. Continue, I pray, to bless this series, Father, as we seek to learn our faith from the ground up. And Father, we just pray that you would bless us now as we continue to think about your marvelous grace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I heard a college football coach being interviewed this week whose team he currently coaches was playing the previous team where he used to coach. He'd been at a large SEC school. He went through a professional fall due to certain behavior in which he was exposed and he's a professing Christian. Then um, he recovered spiritually and professionally, although he is now coaching at a much smaller private Christian university. But in the interview, his small university was playing the old school he used to play this week. In the interview, he was asked how he's being received back at his old school where he had left in disgrace. And he said everyone had received him well, that that place would always be home to him, and he said that he hoped that he had helped change the culture of the football program while he was at that previous school. He said that he hoped that he had shown that you could win at this particular school while he had been coaching there. And of course, they have continued to be a school that wins a lot. But his memory at that moment was one of change. He was hoping that he had brought change to the culture of that school. That's what was in his mind. Well, last week, as we continued talking about what we really believe as Christians in our series, True Lines, we were talking about this central matter of change in the Christian life. And today, I want to return to this matter and finish where we were last week. And so this is, He giveth more grace, number five. This is the 17th message in our series, True Lines. And so open your Bibles, if you would, again, to Ephesians chapter 4. And this chapter and parts of it is going to be sort of our launching pad today as we think about this matter of change. <clears throat> Ephesians 4 verse 1, Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Important words we've looked at in the previous weeks about our being called by God in salvation. 
But now we are living in response to that. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And the idea of calling there is that you have been saved. These are saved people he's writing to. Verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And we'll come back and tie that section together in a bit. And now pick up in verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility or emptiness of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. But here's the contrast in how we're to be living. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so, in previous weeks, we have looked at what we believe, beginning in Jude, where he talks about the faith once delivered to the saints. And so we've looked at what we believe about Scripture, about creation, about evil, about the fall of mankind, about the effects of the fall in our lives, about grace, which we are still covering. We've learned that grace begins in election. We respond when we are called by repenting and believing, and we're saved and we enter into that state of grace, that is the state of being in God's favor. We are regenerated, that is born again, adopted. We are made new, all those wonderful words we visited. We are made righteous, and we are justified before God's throne. And so our statement of faith, and again, I just uh, reiterate, these are around the campus. This is the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. We're kind of learning what this says, what we believe. And so we're in Article 4 and 5 right now, basically, as we're going through this, if you're following along. And so as we think about this point where we have come to so far, we, we said our statement of faith says in Article 4 on salvation that justification is God's gracious and full acquittal. I love that phrase, full acquittal. That means you are not guilty upon principles of His righteousness of all sinners who repent and believe in Christ. Justification brings the believer into a relationship of peace and favor with God. Now that is the standing you and I now have in Jesus Christ. Our sins have been wiped away. We are justified in Christ. We're not only justified, but we are righteous in Christ. And that is His righteousness has been credited to us. His record has become my record. I'm adopted into the family. He's never going to let me go. And I have that standing. I am in a relationship of peace and favor with God that will never be changed, altered, or lost in my life once I've met Christ. And as we've been coming to understand, our faith further teaches then at that point of salvation, we receive a new heart. That is, we are renewed in the core of our spiritual life. 
we get a renewed mind. And our wills that have been bound by sin are released and set free. We, that's when we have wills that have been renewed and come close to being free will. We have power then from the Spirit of God to begin to grow to be like Christ, to pursue Christ, to overcome what we were in the past. That's why Paul makes the contrast here that this is how the Gentiles live. You're not to live like this. And he's saying this on the basis you have the power to no longer live that way anymore. And so, from that point then, we're set on a path of growth spiritually to become increasingly like Jesus in our character, our dispositions, and our actions. And that's where we are at the moment to kind of bring you up. So I'm picking up where we ended up last week, having to cut it off a bit. So last week we noted that we must fully embrace then this vision of growth and pursue it with passion. That is God's will for your life and mind as we grow up in Christ. And so as we said last week, we must understand the playbook and we must pursue that playbook more fervently than college football players pursue their playbook. To execute the play. More fervently than Tom Brady executes the playbook to move his team down the field. You and I must embrace that vision of God for my life that I grow up to be like Christ. It must become my passion. And we also must, secondly, as we said last week, believe what God says then about us. That we do have new hearts, minds, and freed wills with the Spirit of God living in us to help us grow. And that's why Paul says in Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this. Are you confident of this? Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, that salvation, all these things we've been talking about, he who began a good work in you will carry it forth to the day of completion. And so where we pick up today is building upon that. We are people who are justified in our standing. We have renewed hearts, minds, spirits, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're to pursue growth in Christ with every fiber of our being, confident that God is at work in us. And where we pick up today is where we left off last week in this passage in Ephesians 4. We must come to the point then of taking on the discipline for growth and change. This does not just happen automatically. We must take up the mantle, the responsibility of disciplining ourselves for growth and for change. And so, in Ephesians 4, where we are today, there are some ways to begin to affect and experience change, spiritual growth in our lives. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I visited them briefly last week. I was out of time. We're going to talk, talk about these four things. Here's four disciplines you can put in your life to grow now. Not all the disciplines, but four. But before I get into them again, let me remind you that we do this now from a position of victory. We're not seeking to keep the rules to stay in God's favor. No, we're now free to grow in Christ. As we alluded to last week in Colossians 2.13, God forgave us all of our sins. We don't have to start over and over again and try to keep the slate clean. There's no more slate, as Jerry Bridges says. So, from that position of victory, that basis of victory... You can read about that in Colossians 2, and I'm not going to go back and visit that for time's sake today. We now act in faith to elicit change as we exercise toward godliness. And so what are four disciplines we find here in 
in Ephesians we can begin to put into practice in our lives. So we're called to grow in Christ. Y'all with me? Y'all had more sleep last night. Are you with me? We're called to grow up in Christ. My standing is secure, right? I'm operating from the basis of victory in Christ, justified, adopted, right? Declared righteous. God has done a miraculous work in me to renew my mind, set my will free, give me a new heart, internal spiritual life. His Spirit is helping me grow. Now from the basis of the victory I have in Jesus, I can be confident He's working in me. I'm to bring discipline and obedience to the table to begin to grow up in Christ. This is God's will for your life and my life. So what are these four disciplines today? Well, first of all, is prayer. We're just going to camp out here in Ephesians chapter 4. So in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse uh, 13, uh, Paul talks about um, prayer. I mean, Ephesians 3, verse 14. Ephesians 3, 14, he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of who? God. And so Paul here is praying for them. He prays for them, and he instructs them to pray for one another. If you go to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 and 19, he says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And then he asks them to pray for him. And so... If we're going to grow up in Christ, prayer must become central in our lives. We're to pray for our own needs. We're to pray for one another. And we incorporate that in that plea for the Lord to help us grow. As Paul says here, pray for them to be filled with the Spirit in the inner man. And so our prayer should be, Lord, make me just as holy as one, I think, Puritan writer put it. Make me just as holy as a redeemed or righteous sinner can be. And you know, we'll never grow as we should until we learn to pray and truly seek God for His grace to grow. Pray always, the Bible says, and in all circumstances. We must become people who incorporate prayer as part of our spiritual growth. In other words, I'm not just going to the Lord every day and praying, God, meet my physical needs, right? But I'm praying for the Lord every day by His Spirit to begin to work in me to change me. To fill me, for my life to be under His control, to guide me, to help me see what God sees about my life and where He's leading me, where He wants me to go, what He wants me to leave behind. For God to give me the eyes to see and the heart to respond to what He is doing in my life. Prayer must become central. And you know, in our church, if you go through our membership class, we talk about the five purposes of the church, but we deliberately add one in. One of the purposes of the church we add in is prayer because we believe that if prayer is not kept central, deliberately, it gets pushed to the side. And not only is that true for the church, that's true for us. 
Prayer is perhaps the hardest thing that we will learn to discipline ourselves to do. It is also the place where the enemy will fight us the hardest to keep us from praying. Because he knows it's key. And so Paul here, we see him praying for these people to be filled with the Spirit, basically. And we're to be praying for that for ourselves and praying for one another. And you know, one of the things I've loved to see, uh, loved to see happening, or have seen happening in our church for the past few years, is just the uh, spontaneous prayer that's growing up in Concord Church. Between men getting together in prayer groups, prayer and fasting. We have groups that meet here for that. We have ladies that gather every week to pray. We have a once a month prayer meeting on Saturday morning. We have all other types of places where you can plug in and pray. There are text threads that I'm in every day with people as prayer and fasting group of men, praying for one another, lifting things up for each other. That is what we need to be doing in our lives if we're going to grow up into Christ. It's never going to happen apart from the power that we get, the perspective that we get from prayer. So, prayer. And we will uh, talk more about disciplines as we go through uh, this series. And we keep trying to teach you other ways to, to take on these disciplines, either by being in a mentoring group or the other opportunities that we have here in the life of our church. So, prayer. So I guess the first question would be, is how is your prayer life? Are you spending time with the Lord each day, not in some legalistic way, but as a matter of seeking to discipline your lives, spending time with the Lord, asking Him to help you grow in Christ, to be filled with the Spirit, asking Him to help you see where you need to grow. See what you need to leave behind. For God to put his finger on things in your life where it's not pleasing to him and he has higher aspirations for you than that. And for me, prayer. It's not rocket science, but it is reality that we must pray. So Paul says prayer is one of the keys here. He's praying for them to grow. And then secondly, we see in Ephesians chapter 3, 4, we see that there must also be humble submission to, with, to and with fellow believers. That is, in the life of the church. So in chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, Paul spends time talking about the church being one body. And he goes down through there talking about um, the community of the believers. How God gave the church apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors to equip his people, verse 12, for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up. And then he picks up in this passage down here in verse 16 of Ephesians 4. He says, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now he's talking about the corporate life of the church. But he's using that same metaphor he uses in other places about Christ being the head of the body, each of us being a part of the body. When we talk about membership in this church, we're talking about it in biblical terms, about being a member that is part of the body, like my fingers, part of my hand, and my greater body. And when we become believers in Christ, we are, we are connected to the universal body of Jesus at that moment. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, we're all baptized by one spirit into his body. The moment you get saved... 
And then God calls us to be connected to a local body of believers, of other Christians. And in that local body of believers, I find people that are going to encourage me, pray for me. We'll come to that in a moment. But primarily, I want you to see we have a responsibility. That's when he says here that we are every supporting ligament. That's us. We're in the body helping each other grow up in Christ. The body itself grows, but as an individual Christian, I grow to be more like Christ as well as we live this out under his head. You know, there is no substitute for the church if you're going to grow up to be like Jesus. No substitute. And we must die to the concept of the church as an institution. We have an institutional expression. We're located here at 1012 Concord Road. We have a budget. We're a 501c3, all those things. But the church is not like the garden club or whatever other organization I can plug into. It's not primarily an institution. It is a living, spiritual body with Christ as its head. And as we connect in that body and live out our lives in the corporate life of the church, that is another way God helps us grow up in Jesus Christ. And you can't substitute that with anything else. And so as we think about what the Bible says, just a few things. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, encourage one another. As long as it is the day, every day we're to encourage each other. Ephesians 5.18 and 19 says we're to sing to one another as we're singing to God. As we sing the faith to each other, right, the truth, that builds us up in Christ. It reminds us of the truth of God's Word. And then corporately here together, as I just said a moment ago, it lifts us does it not? Toward that higher plane in Christ as we sing together. That we are together in this, growing up in Christ in a hostile world. But we are proclaiming that Christ is Lord. And all will bow to Him. And we'll be made like Him someday when we do behold Him. Face to face. We'll be fully glorified at that point. Hebrews 5, 18 and 19 says, spur each other on to love and, and good deeds. Or Hebrews 10, 24. And we're all told to help one another. You'll never fulfill your calling as a believer living on the edges of the church. And if you're watching online, I'm glad you're watching today. But you need to, if you're physically able, get yourself plugged into a local body of believers. And this is just a little sidebar, I heard the other day, uh, Dr. Scott Gottlieb on MSNBC, business shows in the morning. I think he's been on the, uh, the FDAs, on the boards of Pfizer and other boards. He declared the pandemic over. Did y'all hear that? Because of Pfizer's new pill, it's uh, 85% effective in the first three days to keep people who are susceptible out of the hospital and even after three days. And so he, ba he said, basically, as far as our country, the pandemic is over. Y'all can't even say amen after all this we've been through. <laughs> I believe it. I mean, nobody's going to get sick anymore at all, but it does mean the landscape has changed. They were talking about it in terms the other day in the business channels of the end of World War II, things of that nature. And so I'm just saying, if you're watching online and you haven't come back yet, you need to really begin to think about the fact that if you're able physically, 
You need the body of Christ to grow, to be anchored in the body of Jesus, week in, week out. You say, I don't sometimes like the church. Well, be a pastor. (laughs) I don't like the church, but I love the church, and I need the church. I need you more than you know, not for what I do, but for who I am. And what God's wanting me to become. I need you. You know, I've been privileged to have the opportunity to go to school in a way most of my family was never able to go to school. was able to teach in one of our seminaries for a number of years. But I want you to know the greatest impact on my life in my walk with Jesus Christ hasn't been all the really smart people I've been privileged to study with. It's been little senior adult ladies like Nellie Kampnerhurst, who's now in heaven with Jesus, that I became her pastor when I was 26 years old, years ago. And she and her sister, B. Kenyon. And I watched two senior adult ladies in their 80s be passionate for prayer. Passionate for outreach. They'd come driving up in the church parking lot, looking over their steering wheels, and I'd run. I didn't want to get... (laughs) didn't want to hit me. But man, they were faithful. And they loved me. And you go in their home and hear them pray. And they love supporting ministries beyond our church. And I just watched how those ladies lived. And I watched how they died. And I want you to know it did something in me. Of what I want to become. In Christ, I want to grow up to be like those little four-foot-something ladies because they were lions and spiritual giants. We need the body. You need the church. And Paul calls us to humble submission to and fellowship with believers. We also need the Word. We need the Word of God. We understand that God's, what God's will is through the Word. And so if you go back to chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, Paul says to them, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Verse 15, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Live as wise people. And so the Word, we dig into the Word. And how we do that is we learn the particulars of Scripture. So if you go back to chapter 4, and again, I don't have time to read through all this today. But he gives you things here in Ephesians 4.25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. In your anger, do not sin. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. It says, here, put much in the negative. When you go to Colossians, he talks about putting on certain things. No longer be filled with anger and rage and malice, but he says be put on kindness and love and all those things. It's the Word. And so we must read the Word of God carefully. And the Word of God is not just to give us information. The Word of God is to bring change to our lives as we seek to obey His commands. And we trust His promises as well that teach us that uh, when we're going through hard times, God is with us and He's even using those circumstances to mature us. And then finally, there's confession. There's the hard work of facing our sins, confessing them to God, finding His path to overcome the vestiges of who we were 
as we live in a fallen world. And so as I wrap this up today, I want you to turn over to Colossians with me for just a moment as we begin to put this together. So these are not all the disciplines, but these are some of the disciplines. We're to grow from a position of victory in Christ, right? We can have confidence He's with us to help us grow. We have a new mind, new heart, freed wills, the Spirit's in us. We can begin then to pray for the Lord to help us grow, anchor ourselves in the body, learn what the Word has to say about how I'm supposed to live, and then in that process of confessing to the Lord each day, here's where I see I'm messing up. Give me renewed strength to overcome it. And when we confess our sins to one another, as the book of James tells us to do, as we really get intimate with each other, God wants to use all of that mix, all of that churn to help us grow. So let's go to Colossians 3, and we're just going to look at two verses, and we'll wrap this up. So here's that contrast, same thing as in Ephesians, but he, he, he gives the idea here of putting things off, putting things on. Colossians 3, 8, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Same thing he said in Ephesians. Verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So in a given season of my life, I'm praying for the Lord. God, help me to grow in Christ. Help me to live in submission to your spirit. Give me your power. Renew my spirit to follow after you. Then I look into the Word, and I work through these texts, and that's part of what it is to grow. And I, I ask God to help me see, Lord, am I a person that's that living, do I have anger and rage? Ask your wife, or your kids, or kids, ask your parents. Do I have this anger, rage in, in my heart right now, or malice towards somebody, or am I slandering somebody? Ask God to help you see. And then in verse 12, he says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility. These are acts of our will. And so I'm praying. I'm involved in a community of people that I'm increasingly transparent toward and familiar with. I'm, I'm seeing where I'm failing and where I can grow. I do the hard work of confessing that to the Lord and maybe to a fellow Christian to help me along the way. And then I begin to act to change this in faith in my life. And I don't give up. And I seek to find continual support among the family of God. And you see, as we live out our lives in this way, over time, we will grow in maturity in Christ Jesus. But again, it takes Right? Us coming to the table and bringing something to the table in our lives. And this is what we call sanctification. And so again, back as we wrap up in our Baptist faith and message, our statement on salvation says this about sanctification. I don't know if I put it up there or not. Sanctification is the experience beginning in regeneration by which the believer is set apart to God's purposes and is enabled to progress toward moral and spiritual maturity through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in him. And growth and grace should continue throughout the regenerate or the saved person's life.
You know, our church's ministry is focused greatly on helping people mature in Christ. We want to be a teaching church. We are determined to keep improving in this area. But I do believe that we have a a pretty strong model that's seeking to be comprehensive from our children up through our senior adults to help people come to Christ and help people to grow. And so this morning as we come to a time of commitment, just as I am, not only do I want to invite you to come to Christ if you've not done that, just as you are, to be forgiven and saved and adopted into His family to receive the gift of eternal life, but I want to challenge all of us then to make the commitment to begin to follow Christ to grow in sanctification. I want you to read one verse with me. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand. And if you have a Bible there, look it up for a moment. And we're going to read the first part of this verse. This is what I want you to remember as you leave today. So I just can't find what God's will is for my life. Well, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. Read the first part with me. You ready? I'm waiting on you. You had extra sleep. Go faster. Here we go. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Let's read it again. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. So make that commitment in your life that you are going to grow in Christ. Believe what we said that God has said about us and then begin to employ the disciplines we've talked about today. Anchor yourself in a local church. We'd love to have you here, but we just want you to be where God wants you to be. But you do need to be anchored in a local church with some other believers. In the messiness of church life. That you can grow up in Him. That's God's plan. If you're interested in our church, you can sign up back there through those doors in our, for our membership class. And maybe today again you need to begin your journey with Jesus and trust Him as your Savior. So again, just some practical things today. I hope you can take them, apply them. Make the adjustments where you need to so that we can grow up in Christ.